Good morning. It is great to be together on this Thanksgiving weekend. Thank you for having us. This morning we are going to be turning to God's Word in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 14 and 15. The passage is conveniently on the front of your bulletins, but if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. And if able, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read through the passage and then pray for us, and then we'll begin to explore it together. So Isaiah chapter 57, verse 14 and 15 reads as follows. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrites. Please be seated. I invite you to join me one more time in prayer before we seek to better understand this passage. Father, we thank you so much for the presence of your people in this place today. Father, we thank you so much that no matter what sort of concerns we have over the week ahead or regrets we have over the week behind us, that you now speak to us as we open your scriptures and you impart these truths, not just to our heads, but our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we hear in this passage of hope for people who feel homeless. We hear of blessing for those who feel broken, even comfort for those who feel contrite. And so, Lord, as we pray, as we begin to open your word, I pray that you would make our hearts soft, that you would give us eyes to see spiritual truth within this, and hearts that increasingly love your Son, our Savior, to whom this passage points. Lord, continue to make a way for your gospel to advance. Continue to make a way for revival to happen in us and through us. And, Lord, we ask all of these things, not according to our ability, but to the resurrected power of your great Son, our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. What are you thankful for this year? What are you thankful Great answer. <laughs> One of my favorite holiday traditions is sitting around the Thanksgiving table and asking this very simple question, what are you thankful for? And of course, the answers you get will astound you and uh, confuse you all at once. Whether it's the Ravens, yes, we should be thankful. Maybe it's deep fried turkey, hopefully not overdone. Maybe someone brought your favorite dessert, that pumpkin pie that is timelessly on the table. Thank God for the pumpkin pie. And as we get to Isaiah chapter 57, verse 14 and 15, it seems like a very short passage, but what we're actually hearing is the thanksgiving of the people in Israel almost eight centuries before Jesus shows up, and they were coming out of a hard time, and now they are most thankful that God makes a home with the humble. And so this morning in Isaiah 57, verse 14 and 15, we have one very simple, basic idea, and that is this. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. And in this passage, we have three reasons for doing so. First, we see that God is committed to his glory and our good all at once. 
Second, we see that his character is perfectly holy. And third, we see that he gives comfort even to the lowly. And so as we hear reason to give thanks, he is committed, his character is holy, and he gives comfort to the lowly. If you have your Bibles, let's stick together in verse 14. We see first that he gives comfort or he's committed to his glory and our good. Listen again to verse 14 where he says, It shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. In Isaiah 57, what's happening is the building up and the removing of what is needed. Israel, they are coming out of foreign captivity, long seasons, suffering under a foreign power called Assyria. And so now they were homesick and longing for this restored city they called Jerusalem, where they would be home. But before they could get there and enjoy it, they had to make a long and difficult journey. Not all too unlike many of you who may have been welcoming family and friends this week. Maybe you braved the plane, the train, the automobile to get wherever you needed to go. You know that journeys are not always easy. And what God is doing here is he's saying that the journey that my people are on will not be done alone. That I will be helping them. I will be building them up. I will be removing whatever would ruin their worship. And it comes with this promise that God speaks to them at first. Notice it begins with, it shall be said. Not might be said, not hopes to be said, but God will be doing something. And verse 14 to 21 is an entire passage of him essentially calling his shots. <laughs> kind of like the chef at whoever's Thanksgiving you went to had probably told you it's on the menu. And all day long there, you can smell the scent of the turkey, the stuffing, whatever it is. And eventually those precious words are said, dinner is ready. Come and dine. When God promises it shall be said, there is no doubt that the dinner of divine hope and help will be served. Think about how God's word has worked in all throughout scripture. Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light. And before you know it, there are sun and stars in the sky. And God said, let my people go out of Egypt. What happened a short time later? They got out. And when God said, I'm going to give a prophetic messianic child to a virgin womb, God brought about our baby, the precious Lord Jesus. And when Jesus shows up, remember what they called him? The word become flesh, incarnate. He came preaching the kingdom of God, calling for repentance. He said, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus came out. And now he says he will return and he will return because he has risen from the dead. And so when God speaks, he is indeed calling his shots. He is giving us reason to listen, to slowly celebrate who he is. But I think for us, the great temptation, at least for me, maybe you're a little bit better than my, myself. It is to speed along and miss over when God speaks. There's a lot in this passage. And what I don't want us to do is push fast forward and just hope for the ending prayer. What I don't want us to do when we open our Bibles throughout the week is not just to like check the box of good Christian behavior, but I want us to slowly celebrate the God about whom these truths are said. See, when God speaks, it's an invitation to come and dine, not like a fast food, throw down the course of God's word as fast as we can, but it's a Thanksgiving feast. 
to let these truths come into us and then uh, kind of marinate in our hearts like a slow-cooked turkey all day long so that our hearts become soft and pliable and tender and our wills conform to his son. This week, will you listen when God speaks? Will you listen slowly? Will you listen to celebrate him? And then will you listen to this call of building up and removing? Look at how verse 14 continues. It says, build up, build up, prepare the way. This is construction language. Literally in the Hebrew original language, it would be building a path, building a road. If you've traveled anywhere, 695, 95, you see the ubiquitous construction crews all the time. There's always building up to be done. And what God is promising to do here, as he's saying, build up, build up twice, that's there for emphasis. The Hebrew didn't have exclamation points per se. And so they repeat things. God is building up. Building up a way for his people to be back in Jerusalem. Building up a way for them to get back to the temple. Building up a way for this people to be in his place for his praise. But he's not just doing something physically. He's doing something internally. Something spiritually. He's building up their posture. See, they've been hurting for a long time. They're coming out of a a, a captivity, foreign exile. Their hopes are low. And what God is saying is, I am going to build you up. And I am promising to do this. And in each of our lives, I know that he's continuing to do this. That God is continuing to build up whatever would make most of him, even through us. Maybe building up Christ-like love and patience for others. Building up this open-handed willingness to move as he leads us. Building up the opportunities even to share the gospel with our neighbors in Catonsville on December 16th. I'm excited for how God is building in each of our collective churches and his kingdom across the world. And yet this building also requires removing. Look what he says next. Remove every obstruction. Not just some, but remove every obstruction from my people's way. You know, if you're going to build something, you got to get rid of the old. Got to get rid of what shouldn't be there. If you've had to clean a house for Thanksgiving, you know how many bags of trash and old diapers I had to get rid of. (laughs) When we have friends coming over, thankfully we didn't host Thanksgiving, but when we have friends coming over, there's always something to be removed. And thankfully my wife is par excellence, keeps our house in tip-top shape all the time. But nonetheless, what God is saying here is, I want to remove whatever would ruin your worship of me. I want to get rid of any potholes that would get in the way, the highway of our praising him. And in this passage, he actually tells us some of the things that he's removing. If you have your Bibles, keep them open because we're going to be pulling from Isaiah 57 and 56, which stand together as one unit. So what are some of the obstructions, the things that would get in the way of you and I praising God? Well, one would be sinful living. Look with me at verse 12 and 13 of chapter 57. The verse is right before ours. God says, I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection, your collection of idols deliver you. Before God woos their hearts and gives them hope, he warns them about this idols, these idols that they have collected. And idols we can think of as any God-replacing, like, false savior. 
like a substitute that we look at to give us what we think that God can. Like if we just get a little bit more money, well, then I'll be content. Or if I just take that perfect or get that, take that next vacation or get that promotion or buy that possession tomorrow on, on Cyber Monday, well, then I will be content. And so idols can sometimes pop up without us even knowing it. But what God is talking about here in verse 12 and 13 is this people Israel that they have been in foreign exile. And so they have kind of collected idols from other peoples and places. Like the menu of their worship wasn't just turkey. It was more like a la carte tacos and ice cream and this mixture, so to say, of spiritual practices. And the word for that is syncretism. When we add to what God has told us we shouldn't be doing. And it sounds so ugly, doesn't it? Like who would want to go to like Thanksgiving and have hot dogs and ice cream? It doesn't make sense. When we come to know who God is as our creator, we should be feasting upon him in our hearts alone. And yet, I know the temptation for you and I, sitting in the pews on Sunday morning, is to say, how dare they? Before, how could I? (laughs) How dare they before, how could I? See, the reason that we are in these pews on this morning is because we don't have our stuff put together. The reason that we are here today is because we bring so many idols that we have collected, kind of like kids at Halloween, just collecting one piece of candy after another. You and I, we can give our affections to so many other things and people who are not God. And the deserved penalty for that is eternal separation from God because that's called sin. And the only way that we can be delivered from that is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And praise God that he is perfect and sinless holiness. And he comes to live the life we fail, die the death we deserve, and then rise to offer us new life. When we run from him, he comes to collect us. And so the obstruction we have to be aware of is sinful living. And second, if you look at verse 11 of chapter 56, the second obstruction is selfish leading. These people were being led by bad pastors. Verse 11, the dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough, but they are shepherds who have no understanding. Israel had gotten into hardship because they let the wrong voices get the ultimate weight in their lives. Israel got into hardship because they were listening to those people who would not lead them closer to God's heart. And I say this to a people in 2023 who can listen to just about anyone at any time. We can turn on the news. We can turn on our favorite podcasts. We can listen to those loving family members who may like us but not be well-informed about the gospel. And before you know it, God's word becomes number four or five on who we consult. And what God is saying, it matters who you follow. And he uses this this deep imagery of the bad pastors being dogs, like selfish dogs instead of humble shepherds. Let us always listen to the godly voices in our lives who lead us closer to the Lord. So that's the second obstruction. The final obstruction is our pain. Look with me at verse 19 of Isaiah 57. God talks about our suffering. He says in verse 19, Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. I will heal him. I know that someone in this room probably needs to hear that today. I know that someone here today is probably feeling broken. 
Someone is longing for this sort of peace, peace, this restoration of how things should be. Peace, the word there is shalom, this restoration of what God designed, what he's building up, what he's trying to remove the problems from us. And yet as we walk around this life, we don't feel peace, peace all the time, do we? Like our money dwindles, our bodies break, the boss is still difficult on Monday morning. The kids don't sleep when they should. Guys, you and I have far from perfect lives. And the scriptures allow us to be honest, but not sunk by that. The scriptures allow us to say, you know what? God is indeed promising peace because we need peace. That he is building things up just like he's always been building. From Genesis 1, building us in his image. Building a way for his people to be led out of Egypt. Building a way for the prophets to speak. Building a way for his son to come. Removing the obstructions of our sin. Removing the obstructions of our suffering. Jesus taking all the punishment that we deserve to remove the debt of our penalty against him. And then build us up in new righteousness. God making him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become, be built up into the righteousness of God. See, that's what God is doing He is building us up in Christ-likeness. He is removing what would ruin our worship. And so my question for you is, how might God be building you up today? What are some of the, maybe the means of grace, prayer, the scriptures, communing with the saints? What might the ways that God be building you up in Christ-likeness? And second, what needs to go? What needs to be removed? What sort of obstructions in the highway to our praise of God need to be get out of our hearts and our heads? See, God is committed to his glory and our good all at once. But second, we give thanks to God because he is also has a character that is holy. Look at verse 15. Let's continue in our passage. We see God's identity. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Every Thanksgiving growing up, I used to love visiting my aunt and uncle's house. I grew up in Frederick, so we would make the hour-long trek to Towson, Maryland, and we would arrive at this familiar yellow-shingled house that she must have lived in her entire life, two blocks from the high school. One of the most warm, welcoming places I've ever been. As soon as you knock on the door, you could hear the sounds of cousins inside and Cowboys football on the TV. I know that doesn't get me many votes here. I have one thumbs up. That's about what I thought. (laughs) And you walk in and you smell the turkey, the sides, you see the pie, and you feel at home. But one of the greatest sources of comfort was getting to greet my Aunt Anne. I knew Uncle Ron didn't do anything to help put this day together. So I went over to her and I just said, thanks, Aunt Anne. Thanks for having us here. And the more I saw of what she did as I grew up, the more thankful I was for her heart and her desire to welcome us. Verse 15 pulls back the curtain on who God is and what he's like. Verse 15 shows us that if we're going to be home in heaven, we need to get to know the host. And that is God himself. Listen to his identity as revealed in verse 15. He is, first of all, he is powerful. He is high and lifted up. This is the language of transcendence. 
I don't know if you've ever gone to see like a really tall building or mountain range. Maybe you've stood at the foot of the Washington Monument or even just at the base of the Raven Stadium. Like anytime we drive into Baltimore, my kids are like fixated on how tall Camden Yards and the Raven Stadium are. And as they drive by, they get quiet for the only time in their lives. <laughs> They're humbled when they see something greater than them. Isaiah is using this language of altitude to figuratively help us appreciate God's almighty difference than us. That he is high, lifted up, not like in metrics of feet and towers, but in holiness and grandeur. That he is the one who lives in heaven, but is also what we have this term for transcendent. He is sovereign. He is above all things. And that helps us. And it makes a huge difference that we have a high and lifted up God. I don't want to know about you, but I don't want a low and beaten down God. Like when we get out of this room in this nice curated Sunday morning environment, we are going to be hitting mountain peaks of difficulty. Like, I I don't know what's on your Google calendar this week, but I know you need a high and lifted up God. (laughs) At least I do. And so what we are hearing is that no matter what adversity hits us, we have an almighty God to help us. No matter what adversity hits us, we have an almighty God to help us. And this is greater than any self-help strategy we could find our way on on a Google searching for. We have a God who put death to death after being in the tomb for three days. This God is risen high and he is not only risen, but he is actively reigning for at the Father's right hand for his glory and your good. And yet, I think we still wrestle with this DIY approach to Christianity. (laughs) We know that we should depend on him, D-O-H, depend on God, right? Depend on him who reigns. But when push comes to shove, I don't know about maybe the case for you two, it can be so easy to say, I'm just going to figure this out. I'm going to start planning and doing before I even start praying. How might your life look different if you actually believe God was high and lifted up? Even over that financial, medical, emotional hardship. God is powerful, but also God is present forever. Look how the verse continues. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. God is transcendent. He is infinite. He is uncreated. He is unchanging. Think about this past week, Thanksgiving. Many of us have wonderful traditions, right? Things you look forward to. Whether it's football in the afternoon, whether it's pie after turkey, maybe it's going shopping and making sandwiches on Friday. I don't know what your tradition is, but here we hear of a tradition per se that never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is uncreated and therefore unchanging. And this is the same God who, it is hard for us to fathom this concept of that he is before time, after time. He he exists uh, even apart from time, per se. And when God brought Moses up onto Mount Sinai, that high and lifted up place, Moses was too scared to help get the people out of Egypt. And so Moses says, who should I tell the people you are? And in chapter 3, God says, tell them, I am. Literally, I be who I be. 
Like, God does not change. And what we are invited to do right now is say, whatever is on our calendars this week, we have the Almighty Creator going with us. No matter what's on the calendar, the Creator is going with us. And so I think for us, what might be helpful when we forget that God never changes is to keep looking back at his former grace. What has he done? And at the same time, look ahead to his future grace. See, the road of life requires the map of Scripture. And the map of Scripture does help us look back that we have been chosen in Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, if you have given him your sin, received his forgiveness, you've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. But not only has he worked in the past, he's working in the future. 1 Peter 5 verse 10 says, I will restore, confirm, establish, and strengthen you. When he returns, the former grace, the future grace, gives us present faith. Jesus said in Matthew 28, Do not fear, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God is present, and finally, he is perfect. Look at how that verse ends, that first half of the verse. He inhabits eternity, and his name is holy. His name is holy. This is designation of how different he is. Every moral attribute is beyond perfect in God. Every facet of his character is brighter than the most beautiful diamond you could ever imagine. God outseeds any metric of holiness we could ever put upon our behavior. See, when we think about a holy God, we should never create scales or metrics of comparison. We should think about a God who is totally different, all unlike us in the sense that we are sinners by nature and choice, and we naturally slide into doing and thinking things that are not holy. And yet God, thank God, is never like that. God is perfect in every moral attribute, and therefore he is the only one who's able to forgive our holy, unholy mistakes. See, realizing how holy God is should make us very humble. When Isaiah in chapter 6 saw God pre-incarnate in the temple, he said, holy, holy, holy. He couldn't get over it. And if we are to have a right view of God, we can never get casual to the one who created us. See, God has a character that is holy. We should thank him because he is holy. This week, I invite you to consider, if God is all-powerful, how might you depend, depend on him instead of continue on in that DIY Christianity. If God is perfectly present and always present, what part of that calendar needs to be prayed over before just planned over? And if God is perfectly holy, what area of sin struggle might we do well to confess and know that he is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness instead of continuing it? God's character is holy, and finally, the thanksgiving pie. He gives comfort to the lowly. Let's look at the end of verse 15. God says, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. The transcendent becomes imminent. The holy makes a home with the humble people. This is astounding good news. 
I don't know about you. For you, maybe you have seen someone famous in the flesh at some point in your life, maybe a movie star, a politician, an actor, whoever you would put in that category. My wife had the opportunity to, to have this such experience happen when she was a junior in college. She went to University of Maryland and probably the biggest University of Maryland basketball Terps fan in this room. No joke. <laughs> and so during her junior year, when Gary Williams was still the coach, uh, there was a huge snowstorm that hit the campus. If you remember, it was called Snowpocalypse. And so, of course, with time to kill, her and her roommate decided to bake up some homemade brownies and trek their way over 45 minutes across campus through waist-high snow to hopefully meet the coach. (laughs) And of course, when no one else was working, Gary was still in the office. And so they traversed those high and lofty steps to the Comcast Center. Somehow they got into those doors that should have been locked. (laughs) And some alarm was probably tripped, and Gary came out of his office, which no one else was able to be in except him, And he met these girls, and he graciously, uh, warmly appreciated the brownies and took pictures with them, and their days were made. The high and lifted up coach, so to say, came to make a home with these low and desperate students in such a greater, greater way. What God does is he condescends. He becomes incarnate. The transcendent becomes imminent, coming from heavenly comfort to earthly hardship to come and help you and I if we are humble and we believe in Christ Jesus. And so what we're hearing here is that God comes to not only tell us to, he doesn't say, climb your way up to me. He says, collapse your way into me. Not climb your way up to me like Christianity is some behavior self-works religion, but instead collapse into me. And we know that he comes to help us because it says, I dwell in the high and holy place and with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. In the Old Testament, God was seen to dwell in the tabernacle and then the temple. And even then, he, the access to God was very limited. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest going in there once a year, But now, when Christ Jesus went to the cross, remember what was torn in two? The temple curtain. Access to God no longer comes by our accomplishments, but it comes through his atonement. Access to God doesn't come through whatever you can attain in your good works religion, but it comes through adoption and through faith in the begotten Holy Son of Jesus, Holy Son Jesus, who came to live the life we failed, to die the death we deserve, and then rise to new life on Easter morning. And so we don't have to climb our ways up to God. We can collapse our way into him and say, you are holy, holy, holy. Please help me, help me, help me. And we can trust that he has done that in Jesus. And so what we are invited to do, one pastor much more articulate than I says, he says, every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all his needs finds God coming to him in Christ with all his promises. Now we can say that I am a great sinner and Jesus is a great savior, as Martin Lloyd-Jones said. So what does it look like to be contrite, to be crushed? What does it look like to be lowly, to be humble? I think for us, humility often, especially as two churches gather together, it comes in considering the needs of other people ahead of our preferences. 
I think being lowly and humble means that we are open-handed and prayerful about how God might be leading instead of kind of strong-arming our way to whatever we would desire. I think being humble and lowly could mean that we take fewer glances in the mirror and more glances to the altar where Christ is. See, the only way that humble people get humble is not by saying we're so humble. (laughs) The only way that people get really humble is to stop looking in the mirror and start looking to the cross, to the altar per se, and we see Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of man, he humbled himself becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, I invite you to live lowly this week. To look at the needs around you in your church, in your family, in your home, and take the lowly instead of the quote-unquote proud or high road. Be willing to do what no one else except the Lord sees. Be willing to pray. Be willing to listen. Be willing to be present. And be willing to trust this promise at the very end of our passage. God revives the spirit of the lowly. God revives the heart of the contrite. Aren't you glad it doesn't just say God helps? God cleans up? God puts a nice smile and shirt on <laughs> the heart of the contrite? He revives. You know what that means? He, it, it brings life to what was dead. Think about Thursday afternoon after you've had more turkey than your stomach should handle and the tryptophan is setting in and the nap is all you desire and then by someone else gifting it to you, you get that sugar of the pie or the caffeine of the coffee and you're revived. You're perked up in such a greater way. What the Christian has hope in is not just being helped a little bit, but it is being brought from the dead. That the Christ we have come to give thanks to put death to death after being in the tomb for three days. And he now says that all who believe in me will one day be raised from the dead as well. And so this is the hope that we hang our hats on for life and all eternity. That Jesus rose from the dead and we too will at one point. And this is the Jesus who came 700 years after this and says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That highway to heaven, so to say, the way, the path that we hear about in Isaiah 57 is the perfect son, Jesus. And after he said, I am the way, he promised that he could be the way, the highway that has no potholes when he rose from the dead. And now the son has ascended and the spirit has descended. And so God actually makes a home in you by the Holy Spirit. And he is going to revive us one day, but now by the power of the Spirit, he is bringing new life to our mortal bodies through that same Holy Spirit. Guys, give thanks to God. (laughs) He is committed to his glory. He is building the church. And 2,000 years later, after Jesus walked the earth, we are evidence of that. On the other side of the world, he is committed to his glory and your good. His character is holy, and he gives comfort to the lowly. Amen? Let me pray for us, and then I believe we have one more song um, to sing together. Father, we thank you so much. Beyond what we can say, we thank you. Because you are God, 
you have seen fit to make a way for unholy sinners like us to be in your presence, to be at home, not just in heaven, but to know that you live in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the ways that Jesus has become incarnate, become imminent, even though you are transcendent. Father, we love you. We look forward to how you will continue to build your kingdom. And we ask that you'd humbly enable us to be part of that in whatever way you see fit. It's all in your name we pray. Amen.